Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute. I'm Lois Holzman, co-founder and director of the Institute, and I want to tell you where our title comes from. The Institute is a center for social change efforts that reinitiate human and community development. We support, connect, and partner with committed and creative activists, scholars, artists, helpers, and healers all over the world. Way back in 2003, Institute co-founder, the late Fred Newman and I, had a paper published with the title, All Power to the Developing. This phrase captures how vital it is for all people to grow, develop, and transform emotionally, socially, and intellectually, if we are to have a shot at creating something positive out of the intense crises we're all experiencing. Our hope is that this podcast series will show you that far from a slogan, all power to the developing is a loving activity, a pulsing heart in an all too cruel world. Developing. I'm Maureen Kelly, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm on the faculty of the Eastside Institute, and I'm also the president of Performance of a Lifetime. We're a consulting firm that helps leaders to grow using the developmental power of play and performance. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Robin Stratton Burkessel. Hello, Robin. Hello, Maureen. So great to be with you today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to be exploring the practice of appreciative inquiry with Robin. Robin is one of the world's leading specialists in this field. She's incredibly passionate and practiced. That's how I think I would describe you, Robin, passionate and practiced in this field. I love the alliteration. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We'll see if I can continue to do that. We can continue to play with that. A little bit more about Robin. She is known as the positivity strategist. Robin has 20 years of experience working with appreciative inquiry in a variety of organizational contexts and over 30 years in the field of organizational development. She is specialist in reigniting the human ability to create culture and to do that very intentionally creatively, collectively. And in that, she helps people to come together to share responsibility for optimizing the culture. And what I love, being ongoing shapers of culture and growing in the process. Currently, Robin is teaching at Champlain College in Vermont. She's teaching classes like many of us are right now online. And the course is Advanced Applications of Appreciative Inquiry in their MBA program. And Robin has just a gorgeous amount of content on her website, which I've had the joy of perusing over the past couple of weeks at positivitystrategist.com. So I encourage you to uh, continue to get to know Robin after you meet her today. So welcome, Robin. Thanks again, Maureen, and what a lovely introduction. I love your language. Thank you. Thank you. I did get a little more alliteration in there one more time. So maybe that's our theme for today. (laughs) That's great. Building on what works, what sounds good and what feels good. Yes. So Robin, let's begin by telling us what was the moment in your life because you were a practitioner in the field of organizational development. And when you discovered appreciative inquiry, I'd love to learn more about that moment. Um, Yeah, actually it's quite a memorable moment, Maureen, because I had recently come to live in New York from Australia, which is my homeland. And I was um, working with a variety of people and um, had, was doing some coaching with a colleague And she said, I have just signed up and I'm just doing this course that you will love. 
And I trusted her, I valued her, I liked her work. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, it's a course called Appreciative Inquiry. And it's at Case Western Reserve University. Well, I couldn't go that same year because it had already started. But the next year I signed up and um, she was right. She knew me very well. And why she said I would love it, Maureen, is because it. Um, I have been, as you say, I was working in Australia in organisation and human development. And it was all about giving voice to all, um, how you can ignite and activate increased participation. So as you nicely said that, you know, it's about people taking ownership and feeling engaged and, and um, helping design their own destinies in these organizational contexts. So it was about active participation. It was about whole systems change. Um, and it was about giving voice to all and busting bureaucracies, which is a phrase I love. There's alliteration for you. Um, <laughs> and it was about shared leadership. So all of those things I value very much and that's what I was actively seeking to do. Um, but what was different about appreciative inquiry, and this is um, what was new to me, novel and exciting, is it had a specific lens or focus through which this work was done. And that focus or that lens was through life, affirming life of what works when people are energised and they're working at their best. Um, and it's looking at how, um, how we solve problems not as focusing merely on the problems and life is broken, they have to be fixed, but what is it that we can take that's working already that we can amplify? So it's problem solving in a whole new way, which is focused on um, when people are energized and working at their best and feeling like they have something to contribute and they're valued. So that was the thing that just was like, that's a cherry on the cake for me. And it's really been the mainstay or my, um, what would I call it, my flagship product in my portfolio of, of participatory products that I, I work with. So I am glad that you colored, um, give us some more detail. You'll hear me use that word. Can you color that? Can you give more detail? Um, but this person, your, your colleague, knew that you would love this, that you would love appreciative inquiry. What brought you to even the field of, let's even go back a little bit further. What was your journey that led you to embracing participatory approaches to development? And you put a big emphasis on all voices are included. Mm -hmm. And how did you get there? Yeah. Um, and I think this is one of my favorite stories about myself. And that is, I actually started. Um, my professional life as a teacher of English to immigrants in Australia. So English was not their first language. And these were adult immigrants who had come as refugees, who had come as, um, you know, very much like we have in the world today. And so not having English as their first language, they were um, marginalised. They were struggling. And when I found that through teaching language, through teaching English to them, they came alive and they got excited. It wasn't just by virtue of what they were learning, but it's how they could then communicate with their children, with their um, neighbours. Um, and, you know, often the intention was to be able to move out of the factories and take on jobs that were more meaningful for them and more professionally aligned with what they, you know, came from their homelands. And so it was this finding language as a tool. Um, and, you know, we know that, um, that language is not only words, it's the artifacts, you know, it's, uh, it's the culture, it's like the food you eat, um, the dances, the songs that you sing, um, the games you play. And so when I was able to bring that type of experience into the English speaking classroom, that's when we had, um, it was just awesome. So I, I realized that when you give voice to people, they come alive. And so I thought, well, um, at that time, Maureen, I was living from grant to grant, funding to funding, because this was sponsored by the Australian government and, you know, always struggling for money <clears throat> for that kind of thing. 
And I thought, well, I really, I had some ambitions that I wanted to do some bigger changes, have bigger impact. Um, and so I decided to go off and do some more studies. And that's when I moved into organization development. But always that experience of seeing people come alive when they're recognized, when they're, they're, uh, they're contributing, when they feel valued was something that stuck with me forever. And that's what I wanted to bring into the, the you know, corporations and the organizations that I worked with in all those years. Hmm. Your passion when you saw these, your students um, coming to life and ways in which they could engage in the world and, and create in new ways. Language is incredibly important to us here at the Institute. Um, and we, we look at Vygotsky and Vygotsky's passion about language as, as, a, as a tool. And as you just referred to it, when I was reading your work, you often use the phrase, words create our world, words create our world. And I'd love to go deeper here because we're pretty passionate about language. And here at the Institute, we often engage people as helping them see that we're always creating meaning, um, that language is not a fixed entity, it is living and breathing. So I wonder if we, you and I could play a little bit with your phrase, words create our world. And a little bit of what we talk about in the Institute, human beings are creators, makers of meaning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In fact, um, words create worlds is um, the phrase that describes one of the five foundational principles of appreciative inquiry. And that principle is um, social constructionism, which you would be familiar with, right? And so understanding that it's through language that we create meaning, create our worlds, in relationships with others. So it's a co-creation and it's in a social context. And so that, um, that's what I found came alive, that people are actually finding that the meaning making comes out of being in relationship and seeing each other, hearing each other and um, creating something that perhaps wasn't there. And that's part of the generative nature also of um, appreciative inquiry and understanding that it's through language that we co-create what our relationships are, um, what it is we aspire for or aspire to. And I think one of the other things that, that um, I became very aware of when I think about words create worlds, if you think about a lot of the metaphors that we use, it's very patriarchal, militaristic and machine dominated right though that's mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and so you know how life-giving are all those things quite frankly you know so um so you know we talk about content is king not queen it's the old boys network not the old girls network and we talk about smith and sons um, um we're cogs in a wheel in the workplace and we shoot an email and we have hierarchy and we have strategy and goals and targets and all those things and we're not using that collaborative, co-creative, um, compassionate kind of language that is what really connects people. So mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things, and I'm glad you really brought it up, because when we start to recognize and we have that awareness about what are the words I'm using here? What messages are these um, sending? And often it's a very unconscious level that we're doing that. So, you know, when you listen to the radio or you're watching TV or you're reading something, it's having greater awareness about what's the word I'm using here or what words am I noticing here that is sending an, a different message. Um, and we take them for granted. And it's really, I think, having that level of consciousness about the words we use is, is a way to start transforming ourselves and our relationships. When you talk about language, as you said, you know, our language is co-created in a social and relational context. What are some of the practices you use to help human beings see, experience, and live their lives from that place? Because I'm curious, that's one question I have. And what's behind my question is, 
it's pretty revolutionary what you're saying. I think mm-hmm. we say a sentence and we assume that you understand it. Um, the words that I'm saying must mean the same thing to you. I think we live from that assumptive place. I know I do. I know I have to work very hard to not assume that we share language, that we share a meaning, that it, it must be co-created, something you and I are doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the ways that you support people to, to play and try on new ways of being with language? Mm. Well, the, the appreciative inquiry um, philosophy worldview um, helps with that. Um, and there is a because um, I've been doing it for so long now, thank goodness, um, and I'm still learning, Maureen. But I think, you know, I become much more conscious about the questions I ask and the direction that those questions can go in. And so that's the inquiry piece. So we have, you know, a number of these. I talked about the principles before. Another of the principles is called simultaneity. And that means simultaneity, as you'd say, with an American accent. And that the the little phrase or pithy phrase that accompanies that is the very first question starts the change. So being again, as an AI practitioner, the ways that I can influence people to become more aware of the language that they're noticing and begin to use is to ask questions where I'm very deliberate about the, uh, the kind of language that I would use. So that's in the inquiry. The questions you ask starts the change. Um, um, And then the the process of appreciative inquiry, where we start with a discovery interview one-on-one, which is very intimate, there it's it's a very structured, so there's the scaffolding, right, this support, there's a structured approach with very intentionally framed questions that invite people, um, the, the, the pair who are being uh, interviewing each other, to talk about experiences through this life-affirming lens. And so what we're seeking, and again, this is all very um, conscious, that we're seeking to find out when people are feeling most alive, most affirmed, most energizing, and the experiences that help them get there. So it's about storytelling. And so the storytelling is, again, framed through the language that we're using. Um, So there is, you know, a deliberate, um, intentional way of engaging with people and and inviting people to act out, if you will, or to perform in that way through this, um, this shared interview process. And if I can just add a little bit in there, that after we've done these discovery interviews, as they're called, that are deliberately framed around a topic, but from a valuing generative perspective, then we invite the listener to to report out or to share with a bigger group what they heard from their partner, their interview partner. And that is just extraordinary because people then hear for the first time sometimes how their story is being understood, valued by somebody else. And Maureen, you know, doing this in a large context, and I've done it with 500 people in the room, and you can see there are tears. Some people have never had that opportunity to have their story told in such a a valuing, such um, sensitive way before. So that's, that's part of, you know, being very conscious about the language and how you ask questions and where you want to direct people to be able to focus on the things that they're most proud of and what success means to them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have to pick, pick the context, right, um, and make sure it's going to work. So mm-hmm. is, that, is that helping or giving so some? Much. So much, so much. I'm smiling as, as you're saying this because I'm, I'm imagining uh, uh, whether it's 20 people in a room or 100 people in a room and to use our language from the Institute and, and in my work at Performance of a Lifetime, you are creating a stage. Mm-hmm. You're creating a stage for people to perform um, 
I'm thinking about the rich experience of being guided to ask generative questions, to be curious, um, and to have to be the recipient of that. That is development from where mm-hmm. I sit. Mm-hmm. That so there's both the content that gets generated, mm-hmm. which is gorgeous, and I'm I'm assuming quite helpful for people to see what is affirm what is, as you said, Mm -hmm. I'm also touched by the activity that you're inviting people to do with one another, Mm -hmm. that performance of appreciation and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I think that can become part of us, that that, that that's a way of being in the world. So that's where I was smiling as in response to my question, can you paint a picture of what this looks like? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You did that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's something um, that you've just prompted me to also um, um, visualize, you know, from my own experience of seeing 500 people in the room. You know, there's often when people start to do this process, they're a little nervous, um, you know, and we have different personality styles and so on. But when there's this collective energy that 500 people are doing it, and I'm having this intimate conversation and it's it's becoming more and more meaningful for me that's when it becomes you know part of the collective and it becomes incredibly and we say it's the magic of it um, because there's this collective energy that's going that's going on and um, and people no longer they feel like wow you know I'm part of something here and they're not just alone anymore yes the I want to talk a little bit about, I want to come back to the collective piece. I definitely do. I think it would be helpful if you could share, as you've referenced them, can you give us the five principles or practices of appreciative inquiry? So, so we have that overarching frame, the, those five things. Sure. Well, um, I, let me just say, um, I'm happy to do that. And I want to put it into a bigger context. And um, so there are the, there's the principles um, and then there's the process, there's the philosophy and there's the practice. So four Ps, if you like, alliteration again, right? It is becoming a theme for us. (laughs) And so um, the principles are, um, I've alluded to um, at your invitation to, um, the constructionist principle, which is about words create worlds, um, in our, and then they're co-created in relationship with others. I've also referenced the simultaneity principle, which is the very first question we ask begins the change, and that's the way we ask the question. Mm-hmm. There's also what we call the anticipatory principle, and the anticipatory principle is that um, the more positive image we have of the future, the more likely we are to create that positive future. So, um, and I can, I love, I can talk about that one because it's really relevant when it comes to developing societal cultures. So simultaneity, um, um, sorry, anticipatory, the more positive image we can have of the future, the more likely we are to live into that future. That's really powerful. Then there is the positive principle, which kind of underpins it all. And and today we talk more about life affirming and more about generativity so that where it doesn't appear that we push, you know, the wholeness of who we are and the suffering and the sorrow um, under the carpet. No, we deal with it all. So it's more about the generative principle. Um, and then the last one is, um, oh, what's the last one that I want to talk about? Oh, um, let me just quickly think here. Um, I've got a little note here. Um, oh, the poetic. This is wonderful. And you will love this because the poetic principle is um, what we focus on grows. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it, and it might seem that a lot of these are um, very similar, and they are, of course. I mean, it's part of the wholeness of this, and they are all interconnected. But what we focus on grows means we can focus on the things that are deficits and are broken, or we can focus on the things that are life-affirming and give energy. And so, you know, what you another way of saying what we focus on grows is what you um, what you study. 
um, gets amplified. So, you know, again, it's this, this pathway of seeking to, um, to focus on the things that we want and we know we have the capacity through joy and creativity and through um, uh, growth that we can co-create as a society or as, as individuals. So they're the five principles. And there are actually five. May I continue? What I'd love to do is, is take a brief break. Um, we're going to just have a, a quick message and then let's come back and pick up right there. Hi, I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. Robin, as we continue our conversation, I'd love for you and I to look at appreciative inquiry, look through that lens at the world right now, which I know we're both doing, right? So we're living in a moment of um, new demands, new openings around social justice, a global health crisis, many, many more things to speak of around this moment. Um, and you and I are developmentalists. <laughs> We want, we're looking for people to grow and create in this moment. So with that as a backdrop, do go to what you were just about to share, um, the emergent principles as you described them. And let's play with those in the context of this moment. Yeah. Um, yes, I love the opportunity to talk about the emergent principles because I think they are so relevant to this time. and. Um, the first one is about wholeness. And so with wholeness, we're um, honouring the wholeness of who we are and the complexity of being a human. <laughs> and so, you know, it's um, the pain with the grief and um, the pain and the grief with the joy, the sorrow and the creativity. So really recognising that, you know, as human beings, we have all of those things. And appreciative inquiry could you know, can get a bad rap because they think it's only about the positive and you wrap the, the sadness and the negativity um, under the carpet, but it's not about that. So, and not only wholeness as a human being, but wholeness in our um, communities, um, in our organisations, and that is valuing the collective. All of us have something valuable to contribute. <clears throat> the second one, um, and if I'm going into too much detail, please stop me, Maureen, um, if I'm going too detailed. But I, uh, the next one is awareness. And I think this has also been heightened during 2020 with all the social um, unrest and the injustice that we've witnessed um, and how it's hurt us to the core um, alongside the pandemic globally. And, um, and so that awareness has, you know, you can't help but Notice, notice it and it has some impact on you. So being more awakened to how we're being impacted um, by these things that are going on in the world that we don't choose um, but are happening. And the next one actually is about choice. So there are lots of things in this world that we don't choose to experience, um, but we have a choice about how we might respond to them. And so some people might respond by going off and doing an improv class, right? Others might be out there, you know, activists in the streets. And I mean, you know, so we have lots of choice. Some of us um, being, again, aware of the choices we make. 
the fourth um, emergent principle, Maureen, is called narrative. And this is all about the stories we tell ourselves. So, and narrative is so important, you know, because we live ourselves into the stories and we can change our narrative, our narrative by what we're aware of and about how we make our choices. So all these things are very much interrelated. And the last one I know you will love um, through your institute, the Eastside Institute, uh, we talk about enactment and that is taking action enacting those things that are most important to us, what we believe in our values, how we can support each other and where we want to grow and develop. So taking action and responsibility for that. So all of all up, we have the five original and we have the five emerging principles. Um, and as you can see, um, as I said, and to your question, these last five, I mean, they're all relevant, but it's really just taking note of how we are responding you know, in this last year and more mm -hmm. to what's going on around us. Mm -hmm. When you talked about, I'm going to put together awareness and wholeness and talk to me about how you see, what's the role of the collective? What's the role of creating a collective and our capacity to see hmm. and how we see? This is this is important to us at the Institute because of ways in which we are so socialized to be individuals mm -hmm. and not groups. Mm -hmm. um, we're not really taught how to build collective experiences. And I've been thinking about, just again, as you talked about awareness and seeing and the role of do collectives see, do groups see, um, and how do, how do you play with that? Mm. Um, collective is a really important um, notion and behaviour and way of being in the world. Um, because we, where we can't do it alone. <laughs> I mean, we need each other. And if I think about, you know, where I have most experience, and that is in organizational contexts, um, I think if you don't honor the collective, and that is um, everyone has a perspective, they are diverse perspectives, they may be diverse in their cultures, but all of that adds to a collective, which is far more um, life affirming than just one single homogeneous way of being or thinking in the world. And so it, unless you have that insight, in my humble opinion, is that you create cultures of dependency. And so if you're looking to the boss or to your political advisor or to somebody who's the expert out there, you are abdicating or uh, your own responsibility to take action for yourself. And so... Um, we need the collective in order to find that energy and that co-creative capacity to claim our power um, as, as, um, as groups, as societies, and mm -hmm. not, um, not just sort of expect somebody else to make the decisions and be the saviour for us. So I think the collective takes away that notion that somebody can save us, that saviour. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I find that really helpful. I, I who's going to um, save us is us. Mm -hmm. Us. Us. And the, and the creating of, of us. Mm. When, when you talk about wholeness, pain and suffering alongside joy and hope, um, we live in a world where we, we, we separate them. We, we talk about pain over here. We talk about joy over here. And, and you're inviting people to have it all. Um, what's important to you? How do you understand the role of wholeness, having the pain, having the joy together in our capacity to grow? Mm. Mm. I want to bring the term appreciative back into it because I think it gives us an appreciation of, of 
um, our, our capacity to live a full life. Um, and so with that fullness of life, it can be, um, I know this too shall pass. Um, and it, it sounds so abstract and, it, and I wanted to be very honoring because I, I, I think we, you know, we've had such a difficult um, year and I would like to know, you know, how we can move beyond that um, honoring what we have suffered, what we've experienced. So, you know, there's the continuity of that and what newness can we create? So, so it's taking what exists and thinking about what I want to continue doing because it serves me, serves my collective, serves the community well. What new things might I collectively ask, might we want to introduce because we now have new opportunities and we can create something new. And also um, as a collective, you know, what are some of the transitions that we kind of know we might have to move beyond, but it's going to be pretty challenging. And I'm thinking of, you know, gun reform and, um, you know, police violence and all this stuff that, you know, there's going to be a transition to something that we don't know what it is yet. Um, and so my sense is that, um, that's the power of the collective, you know, with the and, and wholeness. And I'm rambling here, Maureen, because it's this is a tough one. But I think the and I don't have answers. <laughs> I'm used to one of us. Of course. Questions. Of course. Um, but I'm thinking of um, I've lost my train of thought. Um, can I give you something that I'm hearing? Yeah, please go ahead. So we can. I am positively struck by the number of times you have said creating something new together. Mm. And I asked you to respond to what's important around wholeness, having the pain and having the joy. Mm -hmm. And very often we want to get rid of the pain and you know, focus on the joy. That's not what you said. Mm -mm. You said in many different ways, it's the collective that comes together to have and see, and what do we build with what we have? How do we build with this? And so I think about this in very practical terms around being able to be in the pain of a black person's experience in this country. I am a white person for those people who don't know me <laughs> that are hearing this. Um, can I be with that pain? And can that other person who has different pain be with my pain? And what are we going to create by seeing each other more of who we are and more of who we are as whether we are business partners, clients, friends, neighbors, but that capacity to see and build that. So that's what I was struck by. You kept saying create with, mm -hmm. not diagnose, not problem solve, mm -hmm. not interpret, mm -hmm. not figure out. And very often when we talk about emotions, those are the things we talk about, di diagnosing, figuring out. You kept saying building with, creating mm. with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, yes, that is um, how I work and what I certainly believe in. And, you know, as a result of this year, my own inquiry has, re has been around power. You know, what is power? How and who is exercising power and who is, um, who has no power. And this kind of comes back to, you know, when I was teaching English as a second language, I saw a lot of my students were feeling that they had no agency or power and I'm using power in that way at the moment. But I've been thinking my inquiry is really around how are we seeing power? What are we doing with power? And, um, and I'm thinking how and where and with whom might we co-create more safety to challenge um, the power structures. I know where, you know, we do this in our work, but I'm mm. even thinking about the practice and the principles of appreciative inquiry. You know, how do we co-create as appreciative inquiry practitioners um, 
you know, practices that and processes that, that have been around for 30 plus years, um, there is opportunity to do more with that, you know. So what's alive? I mean, I ask myself, what's alive in me at the moment and what's next and what's needed and what's most calling me at this time? I don't have answers to those, Maureen, but that's mm -hmm. the kind of inquiry I'm living with. Mm -hmm. um, knowing, you know, with the lens through which I, um, I, um, I live my life um, and I'm, you know, I fall short a lot of the time because of wholeness. <laughs> um, but that's, that's what's alive in me at the moment. Mm. You know, what do we do next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and how do we um, engage more people um, to want to be able to focus on what's good for the whole and what's, what, as a collective, we can do together? Yeah. So what is power? What is power to you? Where does it reside? How is it created? Yes, I, I, and I don't have, well, power is, um, there are the many facets to power, um, but I'm thinking of power where, I mean, I do think about agency. You know, I have, um, I have agency, I have power to do certain things. Um, I mean, I don't see my white privilege. I, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, I, I'm like you. I'm, I'm a white person. I'm privileged. I'm highly educated. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Um, and I love my work and all that kind of thing. Um, that does give me a power. And I'm very mindful that in the work that I do, I might be making assumptions about my power um, just by virtue of the very language that I'm using. Um, and I just have to be so mindful of that. Um, and of course, then we can talk about abusive power, um, you know, power that comes from social, um, you know, structures and, um, you know, and we've created those as, as societies, you know, we've socially constructed our patriarch, our colonialism, our, you know, our military and so on. Um, so there's that, that kind of power and it can serve well. I mean, I've actually worked for a military organisation on a diversity and inclusion and equity um, project. And I hesitated whether I wanted to actually work for a military organisation or not. But then I realised that I would be helping them put DE&I on their agenda. So, you know, there are decisions we, we make around, um, am I using my power well and in service of whom um, is something I consider a lot. Yeah. You know, we sometimes here at the Institute will talk about the difference between um, authority and power. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, good. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the power of the collective and collectives. And when, when I think of power, I come back to a lot of the language you're using. I think of power as the ability to create new things together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we create awful new things. <laughs> and sometimes we create beautiful new things. Typically, they're never one or the other. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. the I understand appreciative inquiry is you are bringing collectives together to perform with generosity, co-creation. You're literally teaching people how to, I think, collectively exercise power. That's how I hear mm. it. Mm. Um, I you love that you're hearing that. Hmm. What do you love? Well, I love, I love your interpretation or your making meaning of this in a way that it's through the collective where we are uh, co-creating, um, you know, opportunities and possibilities for what we really want to see in the world. And, um, and so it's that, you know, moving towards strategy, or I'm using the word strategy, but moving towards what we most want to see in the world, 
um, versus moving away from where we would be focusing on some of the deficits and the things that really, um, you know, are, are painful for us. And that in in of itself can get the, you know, the cortisol running through our bodies and bring us down as opposed to the upward spiral of seeing the possibilities and, uh, and what we want to create. So I think that's, if we can have, if, if my job um, is to um, create that kind of um, opportunity for people to co-create towards that living a life that's um, well-meaning and flourishing, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that, that I can do that. So am I. <laughs> I, I do think that those, those practices, again, my, my excitement is in the process. And I, I love if people come up with a flourishing strategy or um, a vaccine or a new way to respond and to what we're going to do to transform policing in this country. I love, I love great outcomes, mm -hmm. but for me personally, what I feel very moved by your work is I am again, go back to people performing in new ways together. And these, and I think of appreciative inquiry as a, as a life performance mm -hmm. of choosing to see what is and creating environments where we can mm -hmm. create together. Um, and sometimes we, we don't know where we're going, but we can keep creating. <laughs> you know, I don't think we ever know where we're going. Yeah. Um, I think we can have aspirations. Yeah. So I feel very, I feel very touched by um, the opportunity to perform and play that you give people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I thought we could, since, since we're, since we both got to power, <laughs> I thought as maybe as a way of kind of bringing us home a little bit together is all power to the developing. Yay. Look at that. It wasn't even yeah. part of that. We got here. Um, what does that well, mean to you? All whoa, I love that. Oh, I'm loving lots, aren't I? <laughs> um, that's awesome that you um, brought that full circle around all power to the developing. Um, yes, and just as a little tangent there, I was having a conversation with another AI practitioner yesterday and I talked about, you know, we talk about the power of AI. I just want to play with what that, you know, what, that, what does that really mean? Is it power with AI? Anyway, that's, um, but, you know, we're talking about um, all power to the developing. Um, well, it's like, yay, um, you know, it is a developmental process. It's not static. It's we continue to become, we continue to develop. We are learning with and through each other. And, um, and so all of that is, is developing. And I, and I shared this with Lois, um, in fact, on one of my podcasts, that I love the fact that it's this process of the um, ing, you know, it's not about development but it's the developing. So it's this continuous process. It's, and it's not a destination as far as I'm concerned. It's a, it's, it's growth. And so all power to the developing is yay. Let's, um, that is, that just energizes us, gives us, a, gives us something to work towards so that we grow and develop together. Yes. Yes. What about um, you? I want to hear what your what yours. I know you know. You, there's the intro, and you talk about that. But can I just invite you to reflect on that? On all power to the developing. Mm. Yeah. Um, I love groups. I'm a groupie, and so I love when groups come together to create something. Um, I'm in a social therapy group. Um, so social therapeutics is our practice here at the Institute and that, that experience each week of creating with one another feels very, very powerful to me mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because we create each week with people's pain, people's hopes, people's anger. And it's been a lifeline for me that developing, as you said, that developing activity and the human ability create with what is has given me 
again, it's been my lifeline and it's been mm. my activity in the pandemic um, mm. as, a, as a business leader, as a mom, as a partner, as a friend. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, that's what it means to me. For me, it's very collective. All power to the developing. I, I, I imagine a grouping of people mm-hmm. messily creating stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, and looking at what do we got? What have we done? Mm-hmm. How do we keep building with what we have? How do we keep creating the conditions? Mm-hmm. So we keep building. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> and um, as you describe it, there is that playfulness and that fun element and that it's okay not to know. Um, I love that not yeah. knowingness. <laughs> Yes. I, say more what you love about not knowing. Well, it, it, it allows for openness, for increasing trust. I mean, you'd have to create safe context for this, right? Safe containers for all of this to happen. Um, but when you do have that, then, you know, if you've got your group or you've got your collective and they're being together and working on stuff together then you are you you become more expansive more open and when you do that it changes us neurologically and um biologically you know with the kinds of hormones that start cursing through our bodies and that brings us more to um deeper connection with each other uh, because we're more open to each other. It actually expands our peripheral vision. So we really open our eyes to more. Um, and this only happens in the collective, Maureen. It only happens in groups. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, um, yes, it's good. Well, I was thinking about um, you and me. Um, so you and I have you know, spoken to each other a few times over the years. We had a conversation leading up to this. And when I'm with you, I feel very comfortable not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to share that with you. And I think that you grow, you grow the emotional muscles in your work, I think, mm-hmm. to support people to live their lives, mm-hmm. to create relationships that can do not knowing together, that can create. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I That's think that's lovely. That's quite beautiful. Mm, Yes. And that is the value of positive psychology. We know, I don't know if you know of the work of Barbara Fredrickson. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And so there is so much we know now about the value of positive emotions and that we can learn positivity. And so um, by creating that muscle and by what we practice and what mindfulness is and being in the relationship with people who are going to, um, you know, be on that journey with us. So we need to create the context for people to experience this. And that's where I see the work that you're doing is creating those contexts that people can come together um, and begin to find that, um, that sense of, um, curiosity and experimentation Mm -hmm. um, and um, taking a little risk and that risk gets a little larger and then it becomes fun and you can laugh at yourself and you know all those things that often are you know struck out of us growing up yes I was thinking um organizations that embrace your work the institute's work performance of a lifetime um, you know, or so often businesses or nonprofits. Um, I'll, I'll tee us, I'll, I'll maybe start to wrap us up. Wait till we get to our schools, but that's another podcast. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because when you just said, you know, it, it gets taken out of us. Um, mm-hmm. I have a 14 year old in high school and I'm watching, you know, him be evaluated as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that mm-hmm. is not very growthful. So um, fortunately, he gets to live part of a broader community. Lucky yeah, him. That's great. Uh-huh. And you're right, you know, so, I mean, I can remember as a, um, even as a um, budding professional where I would be doing training and development 
and I would go for the you know evaluation sheets afterwards. And if there's one negative comment, that's what I'd focus on. I'd be devastated. And I'd totally ignore all the other 30 ones that said, you know, it was really awesome and I learned a lot and thank you. And uh, you know, everything was great. But no, so that's before I knew about AI, mind you. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> indicative of what you focus on grows. So with kids who are getting these. And, you know, in, in organizing kids at school getting these reports and there's, you know, the, the parent focuses on the F for math rather than the um, all the other good grades they got. And, you know, in organizations where people's performance appraisal is, um, they focus on one particular deficit or fault. You know, it's, it's we have a lot to learn um, in terms of seeing the whole human being. Yeah. Um, and amplifying those things that will give them greater capacity to develop more. Yeah. Well, in your work, you said nothing about evaluation. Mm -mm. You create transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's pretty revolutionary Mm -hmm. that you guide people through a process of creating transformation. And so often, evaluating the problem is Mm -hmm. very historically how Mm -hmm. people come at transformation. Mm -hmm. And so I think your work is quite Mm -hmm. evocative and revolutionary from that standpoint. Um, Yeah, in fact, in some contexts, we remove the E and we just talk about valuing. So, you know, we're not evaluating evaluating the situation, but we're valuing the situation. so it just, you know, it's all that just opening up the possibilities to see things with wider eyes. Yeah. Bigger hearts. Hmm. Can you close us out with a, let's see, um, we, a performance, we sometimes use the language of, um, we, we give one another performance directions, try this performance. Um, what might be a performance direction you could give folks listening on appreciative inquiry as a life performance? What's like a a performance direction they might do, I don't know, over dinner tonight with a family member, over a Zoom call, a performance direction to try. Hmm. So that people might get a taste of appreciative inquiry as a life performance. Mm -hmm. Well, the one that comes to mind is the one I use in my TED talk was with you, and this is really good with kids, is, um, you know, what was the best thing that happened to you today? Mm. And so immediately, you know, it's not neutral and it's not focusing on things that didn't work, but immediately your brain goes to somewhere, well, yeah, what what was good? Um, so, you know, it's so it comes down to the inquiry and I know I'm being more generalist here and talking about it rather than giving you the example. I love it. No, you gave us a performance direction. That's a gorgeous oh, okay. performance direction. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think we could, um, in our next interaction with a group, what's the best thing that happened to you today? Yeah. And and then maybe we can each respond by saying, "Wow, <laughs> love about what you just said." <laughs> Yeah, we could be creating with each other's experiences of the day. And you can use any um, adjective there. You know, what's what are you what are you most grateful for today? Or, you Mm -hmm. know, um, what do you love about your granny? (laughs) You know, it's so it's Mm -hmm. it's thinking about the direction of the Mm -hmm. question that leads people into a a more a life affirming perspective. Mm. Thank you. That's a lovely way for us to, to start to wrap up. Um, I love that invitation to each of us. I have so enjoyed our conversation, Robin. Thank you very much for giving uh, all power to the developing your time. I do want to give a shout out again to positivitystrategist.com. Robin has, as I said at the top, gorgeous content, um, a wonderful podcast. Um, You're very generous with all that you have learned and all you continue to create with Robin. So thank you so much. Maureen, that's lovely. Thank you so much for all those 
beautiful things you've said and for the lovely um, guiding this conversation. It's been certainly very joyful and very co-creative and collaborative. So that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Look forward to our next time. Definitely. Thank you.